Okay, uh, our, my assignment this morning is to talk about uh, two different individuals, try to make it as quick as possible. So, like we have been before, hold off any comments or questions till the end on both of them, because I'm cut a little short of time. So, the first one is going to be somebody named Andrew Womack. How many of you have heard of him or have seen him on TV? Okay, uh, he probably has the most... Uh, distinction. Um, he's a very kind of a distinguished individual. He comes across as a sort of a Bible type scholar, uh, has a very low key kind of a presentation in some of his TV shows. Uh, but he is a classic word faith teacher, undoubtedly. Um, he, his popularity has grown over the years, uh, even to the Greek degree now that he has uh, well, international schools, um, and I think 14 different locations called charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which is the Greek word for, for gifts. He has these schools all over the, the world. He's uh, centered in Colorado Springs. His program is called Gospel Truth. Um, at a recent conference, just to give you an idea of who attended the conference, uh, was Tony Dungy, um, James Brown, who's one of the... Uh, newscasters, uh, sportscasters for CBS, I think, or one of those major uh, channels, um, were in attendance. Both spoke, as a matter of fact. Um, and the people like that uh, who get sucked into um, the, the big conferences, the big names, and, and the whole to-do. Now, something about uh, Andrew Walmart, for instance, he says back, I think it was in the late 60s, he, uh, well, he gets saved in the service, and then at some point after that, he grew up, I believe, in a, in a pretty fundamentalistic type Christian home, but at some point after his conversion, he believed that God spoke to him through Psalm 78:41 that reads like this, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, that's the King James Version. I actually went to the translation looked at all the varieties of translations, and the King James happens to be the only one that translates that verse and limited the Holy One of Israel. Mm -hmm. All the rest of them, almost uh, completely, all of them translated provoked. Mm -hmm. And they provoked the Holy One of Israel. Not limited the Holy One of Israel, but rather provoked the Holy One of Israel. And he believes that that was the beginning of something new. New revelation that he received, he felt at that time, sort of being in the traditionalist uh, mindset and following traditional Bible teachings, he introduced things that are going to shock you when I give you some examples uh, from a couple of his books. And it will be shown to you that he is definitely a classic word, a faith teacher. He believes that sickness is, uh, it occurs when people allow it. Uh, his faith is a force, and you can create your own reality, which is a typical word faith position. Faith is a force, and you can create it, you can create your own reality by just simply calling it out. He says that we, the scriptures talks about the faith of Jesus. Now, he believes that the faith of Jesus is what every believer has. We have the faith of Jesus. So what Jesus did by faith, we can imitate it by faith. So if Jesus can say to the winds and the waves, peace be still, that we can create that same thing if we have the faith of Christ, which we have the potential of 
creating these things, we just have to exercise them. Now, in the two books that I read in preparation for this uh, presentation, along with watching numerous uh, TV shows of his, and also on YouTube, I read a couple of his popular books uh, called uh, Grace, the Power of the Gospel, and the other one is Spirit, Soul, and Body. And I'm going to give you some direct citations from these books just so you get an idea about his teaching. Somebody said that, uh, you know, what's dangerous about teachers, false teachers, is they have some truth in what they say. And sometimes, depending on when you tune in or what you're listening to, you might hear something and be like, wow, that was dynamic. That was outstanding. That was right on. And someone said, well, Justin Peters put it this way, we've heard this said before, well, even a... Uh, a, a, uh, a clock without batteries is right twice a day. Um, so, somebody can say some things that like, oh, they're really good. But if you measure the person by those good things that they say and accurate things that they say, then, unfortunately, you have missed all the rest. And here's some examples uh, right out of his book. Um, some of them I might mention. All the, the, I have all page references, but I'm not going to bother with the pages so that we can... Uh, uh, go along more briskly. Uh, a revelation of how he claims he learned these truths. What he's going to write is, is revelations that he received about it. And you'll see that these are things that you probably never heard of, I've never heard of, and I've done a lot of studies on a lot of cults over a lot of years, and never came across anything like this. He says, Your spirit is born again, but not your soul. That's out of the book Spirit, Soul, and Body. This title is very key to his whole thesis in the book. What in your spirit must flow what in your spirit must flow through your soul in order to get out to your body in the physical world around it? What he says in the fall, and we'll explain what he just said there. He said, Adam had a body and a soul before God breathed the Spirit into him. When the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he claims that Adam had a body and a soul. First of all, his, his uh, assumption or presumption is that we are composed of body, soul, and spirit. Tripod. Lots of scholars, maybe the majority of them, believe that we're composed of two parts. That is, that we're made of the material and the immaterial. So soul and spirit are interchangeable terms describing that invisible part of us, mm -hmm. that spiritual mm -hmm. part of us. The rest of us is the material part of us. But because he wants to divide man into a tripart being... And oftentimes theologians will try to use that expression because they say, well, since we're made in the image and likeness of God, and God's a trinity, therefore our trinity is body, soul, and spirit. It sounds very attractive, but I don't think, if you, if you look carefully in the New Testament, I don't think you're going to find that to be the case. Nevertheless, that, this is a, that is a basis for his uh, teachings. He says, no one was born again in the Old Testament. How could that be? Nicodemus says, are you a, uh, Jesus said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher in Israel? And don't you understand these things? What things? He was <laughs> teaching the new birth and expected that Nicodemus would understand the new birth from what? An old, the Old Testament, which he was a teacher of. But he says no one in the Old Testament was born again. On page 29, 
because this is radical. One third of your being is completely righteous. One third of your being is completely righteous. He says to be born again means you. You're born. You're born again in your spirit. It's the only part that has been created in righteousness and true holiness. He says when you're born again. Your old spirit dies instantly and was removed and replaced. He says one third of you, and this is the phrase, is wall to wall Holy Spirit. One third of you. The phrase, only a sinner saved by grace, isn't true. Quote, unquote, page 49. He says the spirits of just men made perfect, which is a, a language of... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, We have come unto mine Zion, the city of the living God, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Which all teachers teach that that's in reference to those who we, we have been gathered to in this communion of all believers of all time. And those that have passed on are in glory are described as those spirits that are made perfect. Now, in the state that they are in, of course. But he, he takes it differently. He says, the spirits of just men made perfect, he aligns them with the living who have tasted of the powers of the world to come. He refers to a spirit-filled person, it refers to a spirit-filled person who has exercised the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, there's kind of now two classes of believers. Those who are gifted with the Holy Spirit are those who, individual spirits who have been made perfect. These, all the ones who can lose their salvation, are those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So only those who, and he's totally wrong on blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. We know that that's contextual, has to do with Christ in the day in which he was administering the works of the Spirit of God, and they were rebelliously assigning to him his works to the devil and says to do that is unpardonable. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, not only contextually res- uh, restricted, but it's also time restricted to the audience that Christ was referring to because they were not believing that he by the finger of God or by the Holy Spirit was casting out demons. They were assigning his work of Holy Spirit ministry to the devil and that, Jesus says, is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and is unpondable both in this world and the world to come. But he says, it's when a, a uh, he doesn't use the word spirit-filled believer, but the ones who are gifted with the Holy Spirit and have the gifts of Hebrews chapter 6 that he talks about who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. See how they utilize that as well? That you can bring the future age into the present age so we can have his kingdom on earth now in miraculous ways as well. God loves the born again part of me. So he dissects our person into three segments, body, soul, and spirit. And it's your spirit that has been born again. And what he says is, what he says that to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, he says that mind part of you has to align itself with the spirit part of you so that you can carry out the miraculous in your life for yourself and for others around you. In his, in his other book called Grace, the Power of the Gospel, 
you'll listen to some of these other things that he has to say as well. He says, salvation is a package deal. Not only forgiveness of sins, but includes healing, deliverance, and prosperity. That's included in your salvation. And it's something that we can have and own it now. If we don't, we're limiting God. And of course, because he has this conception that we're only one-third born again, it makes you wonder, well, am I in that category... I don't know how anyone who could sit under this teaching could properly live the Christian life and understand the doctrine of sanctification, the mortifying of the flesh. It's very unorthodox, heretical, I would even go so far to classify this, because the ramifications of it are extremely serious when it comes to the Christian life. He says, receiving healing isn't harder than receiving forgiveness. He says you are no longer by nature a a sinner. So that classification of sinfulness or being a sinner to us in any way is inappropriate. And of course we have a modification of how we understand ourselves. Yes, we are not a sinner in a generic general sense, but we are certainly sinners saved by grace. We still have the sinful nature, something that he doesn't want to recognize because that one-third part of you is perfect. It's Holy Spirit, remember, from wall to wall. So it's the other two parts that have to sort of uh, be worked on so that the Holy Spirit works through your body and your soul so that you can exercise all these miraculous gifts for others and for yourself as well. People aren't healed, delivered, and prosperous because they are living, they aren't living the grace life. People aren't healed, delivered, and prosperous because they aren't living the grace life. So it's a deficiency on your part as a believer, Christian, that you don't have healing, deliverance, and prosperity. In Romans 6, 3, which talks about, he says, equal spirit baptism. Remember the verse, uh, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, as many of us <laughs> were supposed to walk in newness of life. He takes that as being spirit baptism. The majority of interpreters take it as water baptism. It's not a, it's, I don't think it's erroneous to think of it as being spirit baptism or could be understood that way, but he certainly states it emphatically that Romans 6.3 is in reference to spirit baptism. He says, I don't believe born-again believers still have an old man. Quote, unquote, that's on page 83 of his book, Grace, the Power of the Gospel. I don't believe born-again believers still have an old man. Ephesians 4, put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which after God has created. I mean, that's very plain and simple. That's a, uh, that's a, a, a rebuke or that's a command for Christians to exercise this sort of discipline in your life that you're putting off the old man and you're putting on the new man. He likens our sinning to the head of a snake cut off. But it still slithers along. We are dead but have to systematically destroy the body of sin which implies a teaching of sinless perfection that you can graduate in your maturity of understanding of, your, of these doctrines so, so that you can actually eliminate sin in your life entirely. 
He says the sin nature is now dead and gone and you have a brand new spirit. The only thing that's left, of course, is your body, he says, and your soul, which are the unregenerated parts of you that have to be worked on by the regenerated parts of you. In our born-again spirit, we are as Jesus is right now. But when he returns, we will become like him in our minds and bodies. That's the other two-thirds of us, remember? He says, in my born-again spirit, I'm already healed. I'm dead to sickness and disease. This kind of thinking comes right out of the metaphysical world of the cult mm -hmm. that started back in the 1800s with uh, various... Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science, would be an excellent example of the metaphysical, where the mind can overcome the, the body, mm -hmm. psychosomatic healing, and things of that sort. As a matter of fact, um, and when we'll get, I'll get into this a little more with the Benny Hinn thing, but uh, I'll just mention him in case I forget. There's, and you might want to watch him on YouTube just to get to see that this is provable. Um, his name is Darren Brown, D-A-R-R-E-N. I believe he's from England, and he's an illusionist. And what he does, one of the things that he does, is he imitates the faith healers. And he actually has big crowds that come, and he can do the very same thing that the faith healers do, put his hand, and he's not doing it in the name of Jesus. Well, he's <laughs> using the name of Jesus, but he's not even a believer himself. It just shows that there's a, and I'll get more into it when we get into the Benny Hinn thing, but there's a certain mindset in the audience that prepares them for a lot, a lot of mind alteration that will take place in the audience. Let me go through some of these a little more quickly. If you want prospering, it's because you've lost the battle in the mind. He says, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve lived to be 930 because they didn't know there was a flu season. <laughs> I had to say that. That's right. <laughs> Your old nature is dead and it doesn't exist. The age of accountability, this is another one, is when you realize you're doing something wrong. This is when the commandment came, Romans 7, 5. Prior to that, the sin nature is not imputed to them. You'll have to listen to this tape to go to, to, to uh, assess these a little more deeply. Otherwise, I'm not going to cover them all if I don't go along. The sin nature wasn't imputed to them until the law comes. Wow. Romans 7 isn't the normal Christian life. They could be either non-Christian or born again. If, you're, if, you've done, if you've done that, that means believe, and have seen healing manifested, then somehow or another there's a deficiency in your faith. If you haven't seen healing manifested, then somehow or another there's a deficiency in your faith. God has already provided through the atonement of Christ everything we will ever need. We can say amen to that. I think that's my own notes, as a matter of fact. Okay. I have said before that he says that the faith that you have is Christ's faith because we are as he is. He takes 1 John 4, 17, which says, as he is, so are we in this world. So whatever Christ had is what you have. This is exactly what Mary Baker Eddy taught. 
and I read her book, The Key to the Scriptures, mm-hmm. way back in the 70s when I was searching and I had a friend that was a Christian scientist and he handed me the book by Mary Baker Eddy or recommended, I don't remember, <laughs> he gave it to me if I bought it. But I went through that carefully, I had underlines, I could still show you all my underlines, and I was getting convinced that this is how we can be. We can be like Jesus. We can do what he does if we only realize that we have these kinds of miraculous abilities communicated to us. The measure of faith, which is from Romans chapter 12, is not a level, but a distribution that everyone gets. So what Jesus had, he simply gives you the very same thing that he has. So in a sense, you become sort of like a little God. You have the same faith as Jesus, he says on page 87 of his book, The Spirit, Soul, and Body. I've seen people rise from the dead. He says his own son was raised from the dead. He was dead for five hours, he said, and his son was raised from the dead, and he said he saw two other people rise from the dead. Okay, um, if you believe that, then you're in the wrong church. Um, I've told individuals their names, their sicknesses, how their marriages are going. Wow, it sounds like uh, ESP, psychic powers, some similarities there. If, if your physical mind agrees with your spiritual mind, that is your new born-again spirit, then you'll see supernatural power and ability flow through your soul into your body. It takes efforts to renew your physical mind to agree with your spirit mind. Basically, this is where the conflict in the Christian life is, is in the mind. Womack receives revelation after speaking in tongues for an hour or two. It essentially says that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're powerless in your Christian life. And of course, he's talking about a second baptism. He's not talking about conversion, but something subsequent to your conversion. There is no sinful nature inside of you that you are warring against. What's true of the Holy Spirit is also true of your born-again spirit because they are one. It's always God's will to heal. Always God's will to heal? Mm. Wow. You don't accept sickness. You overcome it by believing God. And then you are healed. So, you know, you pray these things. This is, this is, this is word faith mentality. Mm-hmm. You have to pray it. You have to believe it. And whether it ever happens or not, you have to believe that it has happened. Mm. You, you create your own reality. Well, I think you've got an idea uh, about where Andy Womack is coming from. And again, I tell you, if you turn them on on the TV and listen to one or two programs, you may not catch any of this. You may not see it. But these are right out of his writings. Because if I only listen to what I heard him say, I might not hear these kinds of things. But you will know what a man believes by what he writes. And he even endorsed this particular book, uh, uh, over and over again in his programs. He says, this is a book you've got to get. And in this, these, either one of these books, he's basically saying, I have a new teaching. I have a teaching of a revelation that God gave to me that if you want to have a healthy, prosperous life, this is what you have to do. You have to listen to what, I, what I'm teaching you. And then, 
and he's highly esteemed. He's got millions of followers who follow him. And granted, he's not as popular as some of the other ones, like uh, Joyce Myers and Joel Olstein, as far as the American public is concerned. But he has a lot of influence over a lot of people's lives. And I mentioned some of the celebrities that are also sucked into his ministry as well. Okay. The last one that we're going to talk about of the TV preachers, uh, teachers, preachers, is um, Benny Hinn, um, and next week uh, brother's going to take up the shack, and he'll tell you more about the book and the movie and uh, that the impact that that has had, and so many Christians have uh, been impressed with it. Uh, others like us, and I think Pat, of course, will show us uh, a serious critique of many of the things that are in the book and in the movie as well. Okay. Um, Benny Hinn, everybody kind of knows about Benny Hinn. You've seen him on television. Um, some of us, a few years back, went to one of his crusades that was held in downtown Worcester, um, probably about oh, 12 or so years ago, I'm going to say. Um, the place was two nights on a weekend. It was packed out. The place holds 14,000 and 2,000 of an overflow. Uh, and they had packed out with the overflow. There was 16,000 there each night. And they had to close the doors. The... Uh, the evening started, I believe, at 7 or 7.30 in an hour before. Because they reached the maximum amount of people, they had to close the doors. So just before they closed the doors on both nights, I, I got inside. And I tried to get as close to the stage as I could. Didn't have a place to sit. But I managed to be able to stand behind him, probably maybe about 50 feet away uh, uh, something like that is how far I was behind behind the stage. So I had a very good view of things. I could hear clearly. I could see clearly. It was uh, a, a good a good opportunity for me to to do some observations. And uh, uh, before we actually uh, some of us had gone there, a number of us from our church, we had a bunch of uh, brochures that we had made up in advance. A picture of Benny Hinn in a white suit. You got it. Uh, white suit and. Uh, on the front page of the brochure, it showed Benny Hinn with his white suit on, with his hands up, and we titled it, Benny Hinn the Prophet. Mm -hmm. And then, when you open up the first page, it says, all of Benny Hinn's false prophecies. Mm -hmm. And one of them, I'll give you a couple examples, one of them, he said, that before the end, and this is back um, in the 90s, he says, before the year 2000, actually, in that very year that he was prophesying, he said, that Jesus is going to appear on stage physically and that the cameras will pick him up. Of course, that never happened. He said by the end of the 1990s that God was going to, in America, have all the homosexuals killed. Burned, I believe, was the words that were used. That, of course, never happened. And there's a whole bunch of different prophecies of his that we had listed down there. So we're handing out these brochures to thousands of people who are followers of Benny Hinn. And I must say, some of those hours I was alone, and I didn't have anyone with me, my knees were actually knocking a little bit because I'm thinking, I'm trying to help these people. You know, believers or unbelievers, I, wa I want to get the truth to them. We had a couple of signs that we carried along with us, sandwich board signs, and one of them said, don't give a penny to Benny. <laughs> the other one was, Benny, stop hindering the truth. <laughs> Patty, this is why I'm wearing a white suit today. You got it? And you got white pants on. What a coincidence. <laughs> anyway, um, 
you know, they, I have people coming around me trying to cast demons out of me. Um, I said, look it, the scripture says that we're to judge the prophets. I said, when false prophecies of so-called prophets uh, are, are, are done, we ought to rebuke them. We ought to abandon them. We ought to refuse them. They should be reprimanded. But why are so many people going in to hear a false prophet? They say that he makes up to $100 million a year. Of course, I don't have to get into all the jets and the private rooms. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you'll really enjoy watching uh, Benny Hinn's nephew, Costy Hinn, H-I-N-N. And Costy Hinn's eyes have been opened, and he's a good, solid brother. Uh, he just wrote a book recently called A Defining Deception. He's a very close friend of Justin Peters, if you know that name, who's a very good, excellent apologist, who you also will find a lot on, on your internet, uh, YouTubes, and so on. Um, Benny Hinn was born a Palestinian. He uh, came over as a refugee into Canada landed in Toronto, um, and there's where he professed to have been saved. His name wasn't Benny Hinn, it was actually Tufik Tufik was his uh, original name, and then somebody called him uh, a name, um, uh, Hinnom, or Hinn, or Hinn something like, like, like that, and somehow the name Benny Hinn got attached to that. Um, Hinn means son of, well Ben means a son of, and Hinn means I can't remember what the word means, but he, that's, that's the name that he began to take. And he got into, um, he got infatuated with um, Catherine Kuhlman. Mm. You older people what might remember Catherine Kuhlman. She was another dynamo um, uh, miracle worker. Um, she, she comes you know, here in Providence, Rhode Island, and all around the country. I believe she's buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And a lot of different Pentecostals, like Benny Hinn did, uh, did he actually went to her grave uh, and prayed there and asked for the anointing of her to come upon him. So he's claiming that he's sort of like a, um, a uh, successor to Catherine Kuhlman, his hero. And... Uh, they call this grave sucking, by the way, which Pentecostals are known to do. Of course, a radical body of them. They actually do go to graves of older people, those who died, of course, that were anointed in their lifetime. Somebody like R.W. Schambach, A.A. Allen, Catherine Kuhlman, I mentioned, Amy Semple McPherson, um, a little earlier pioneer in that category. But they would actually go to these tombs and they would lie on the gravestone and pray that they will be able to absorb the anointing that was on that person that's still contained in the body underneath the ground in the casket and they want to suck into their being the anointing power that that individual had so that they could carry it with them. Um... What amazes me more is how many people follow people like this. That's what really blows my mind. Hundreds of people. Um, when I went to, these cru to the Crusades of Hymns, the two nights I did, um, the things that he did, or appeared to have done, was he could actually go like this to a crowd that's 80 yards away in whole rows of people. Like if this section was filled with like 70 people and he's back to 80 yards and he goes like this and these people 
all get knocked over. And they're all literally are sorry. It's sort of like when you go to Boston Fenway Park and you see the wave, you know, it starts like this and then the next one, the next one, it goes all right around the whole park. Well, that's the kind of thing that was going on. He'll take his coat off. People will come up and he'll say, Receive the Holy Spirit! And he'll whip his coat on and he'll smack them like, like, like a towel fight, you know, in the locker room, boys' locker room type of thing. He's, he's whipping them and they're all getting knocked over and going down. You can see this on YouTube, no problem. It's very available. It, it's, it's, it's really entertainment. Yeah. And I wonder how many people are just entertained by it mm. that are in the audience. But they're real, there are people that really believe that this is of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of cr- other crazy ones out there. Heidi Baker, I sent a couple of pictures, uh, YouTubes of her on, on, on and what she does. Oh, I, I, it's hard. It's hard. Um, how is it that so many people uh, follow this? It's been said that they, they that people suspend their critical judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, they gullible to the nth degree. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a continuationist, but if you hold to a non-cessationist view of the gifts of the Spirit, that doesn't mean that you have to embrace all of what we're describing here this morning. But suspending critical judgment. People are at the first level of hypnotism in the audience. I know people don't want to think this of themselves, but there is a definite atmosphere that is set in certain ways to generate this sort of miraculous events that are going to be taking place on that evening. The way the music is played, even the lighting in the auditorium, the crowd expectation, and in the singing as well. So there's a hype that's built up. There's expectations it's really sort of like, in a way, mind over matter. And there's something to that, mind over matter. Um, so people come with expectations. And this is something that I observed with my eyes, myself, when I was there. What happens before the show goes on, if you will, before Benny Hinn actually comes out, hours before. There are lots of invitations, by the way, that are given to uh, wheelchair people, people that have um, ailments of some kinds or another. Um, and if you came in with a wheelchair or you were a blind person, you would be given uh, VIP privileges to sit right in the front in this big, big area where all the, the infirmed uh, will be sitting. And, but what happens before um, the, the night begins is that Benny Hinn's staff, they go through the audience of these people and they interview them and they ask them questions about themselves and and they collect all this information, and this gets all fed to Benny Hinn. Mm-hmm. Benny Hinn knows that there are people out there that have, and he'll say, there's somebody here that, that has back pain, or somebody was just diagnosed with cancer, or whatever, whatever. He will re- reiterate these, and then he'll ask them to please come up to the stage, and many of them are wheelchair people. But the cases of those that come up are those that are, less than chronic and, and, and permanent. They are more sort of like psychosomatic illnesses, I think you can call them. 
Because it's been shown over and over again, these people that claim they have been healed and have this momentary charge of energy to be able to get up out of the wheelchair and walk around, and he'll have them almost like prant, walk prancing. And by the way, if, if you went back and you looked at some of the, uh, his predecessors, um, like Catherine Kuhlman or A.A. A. Allen, the thing that Benny Hinn does is almost like a duplication of what those before him had done. So he'll have them, okay, get up now, walk, hit those feet, walk. And he'll have them trotting around the stage and doing all kinds of things. He'll hand them the microphone, let them say a few words to answer certain... Did you have, did you have, did you have pain in your back before you... Are you sure that the... Yes, I did. Okay, how do you feel right now? I feel great. Jesus has healed me. You see? So that sounds so impressive and... Um, it's, it's, it's built up, of course, his uh, popularity because of that. It's really the power of suggestion more than the power of God. Benny Hinn has a staff of 500 people. Um, research that has been done on a lot of these cases, and when I was what was there, he called up a woman um, who um, has been married, had been married for a number of years, and she couldn't bear or hadn't born any children. I would say she was probably in the middle 30s. Kind of an attractive lady, if I remember. And um, he had brought her up and interviewed her, and sure enough, she said, you know, we've tried, and, and we haven't been successful. We've gone to the doctors, and we just haven't been able to uh, uh, succeed. And, um, and then Benny Hinn just puts his hands on his head like this, and, and then he says, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord just told me that this woman is going to have a baby. And whoa, the crowd roars with excitement. And then he says, call your husband up here. So the husband comes up. I literally saw this and heard this. The husband comes up, same type of thing. He says, you're not going to just have one baby. You're going to have two babies. One's going to be a boy. The other one's going to be a girl. Well, I, when that couple went off the stage, I, I tried to keep my eye on them, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to track them down. Mm. I wanted to get their names and phone numbers, and I wanted to call them in 10 months and said, how many babies do you have? Mm. Did you have any children? Uh, well, these are the kinds of things that he gets away with. Mm. And for the moment, everything sounds like glorious, mm. positive, wonderful. But the facts remain... And you, you can find this on YouTube yourself, and I know even uh, major um, networks like NBC and so on have done investigations, and they have met with different individuals, and they have talked to lots of people, for instance, that come in there like a, like a Joni Erickson, Tata, a quadriplegic. He'll have a lot of those kinds of people in the audience. You'll never see one of them get healed. The kinds of people that have their legs so-called extended because one, one leg shorter than the other is always like about a quarter of an inch in length. It's really a sleight of hand that they can show you on camera and the cameramen are very, very sophisticated and precise on the way in which they do this. So that it does look like the leg is being extended, that half an inch. Someone says, why doesn't he do this with amputees? Why don't we see a whole leg growing on somebody? Why don't, why don't they go, and I challenged these people when I had gone that day, why, why doesn't Benny Hinn go into the nursing home? Why doesn't he go to the geriatric unit in the hospital or to a cancer unit or something of that sort? There, why does it have to be in this supercharged atmosphere? 
Does that not tell you something? If you have the gift of healing, does God say it's restricted to only these kinds of environments? Something's wrong. He has bodyguards, police escorts, um, and he happened to be a star in the drama team in high school. Um, and you can see some of the, those kind of characteristics still borne out by him today. Um, thankfully, there's some like Benny Hinn's grand, uh, nephew, uh, Costi, C-O-S-T-I, who had worked with his uncle and traveled with him. And he said, we would stay at the best. He said, we'd stay at hotels that were $25,000 a night. A night. And he had pictures. They were showing pictures of these kinds of hotels. The, the private jets and, and escorts and police uh, protection. He'd have to have the police come and, and meet in certain areas so that uh, he could have uh, protection and so on, besides his own bodyguards and so on. Um, well, I know most of you have seen him, heard him. Um, and again, things can be deceptive. I, I forget who I was listening to recently just said that Benny Hinn was interviewed um, and when he gave the answers to the questions, you would think he's as orthodox as any other solid Bible-believing, Bible-teaching preacher. Um, that can happen. Uh, I've seen that happen with others like him and maybe not as radical as him who can give interviews that can come across as being very biblically sound. But the thing is, what do you judge the person by? But what he says in private, Hank Hanegraaff met with him one-on-one. -on -one. He said a lot of good things to him. Michael Brown has sat down with him uh, and other more conservative and solid Bible teachers and have been sort of scratching their head like, that's not what he teaches when he's on. So is he teaching certain things on television and in his crusades that have more of an appeal to people than he would if he simply stayed to the scriptures and taught sound doctrine. Okay, I think um, we got the points about a lot of these uh, teachers. And by the way, they're all all of these names that we've mentioned. They're all pretty pretty much all on the same page. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, other names. Uh, um, you know, visits Joel Osteen's church and Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn get together and Andrew Womack have all of these kinds of individuals come to his conference as well. Um, so there's a big intersection of all of these teachers with one another. So it's not like they, they're isolated. There is a, a movement of these word faith teachers and included in most of their teachings is this idea of hyper grace that our brothers have brought up before like a Joseph the Prince might be a little more pronounced than others but basically it puts down any kind of uh, responsibility of the individual to be uh, conscious of scriptures and obedience to the word and, and maybe personal disciplines and, and so on and so forth because anything that seems to sound religious to them is a no-no and God's grace supersedes all of that, so we don't have to be so concerned about this or that, etc. We don't have to be so scripture-bound to obedience of the Word when we have grace that we can live under. So sometimes grace living and scripture living, are, in their views, dichotomous and, and diametrically opposed almost. 
where they should be one. If you're you're living in in grace, you will be want to be obedient to the Word of God. If you love me, you keep my commandments. So commandment keeping and walking in the Spirit and living under the umbrella of grace should go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think I've said enough. I'll just open up now for any questions or discussion. Go ahead, Beverly. These people would never die or get sick. Exactly. I mean, and some of them wear glasses, for instance. Why? There's some some defects in their eyesight, for instance. Uh, uh, they may have made limp, but some of them have had uh, hip surgeries and so on, replacements. Go ahead. How does Andrew Womack view the soul? Uh, the soul is the unregenerated part of you. It's that part of you that's the emotions. I mean, I think he's he fairly typical of what most people would think of when they think of the body, soul, and spirit. So he, he would say that the, the soul represents sort of the inward part of you as well as the spirit part of you, but the spirit part of you is now totally taken over by the Holy Spirit. So in order for you to benefit by that one-third of you that's regenerated, you have to utilize that. You have to draw from that one-third part of you so that you can implement in your own personal life and in your body life, which would mean your healing of your body. If that one-third can become kind of two-thirds or maybe three-quarters, you will get the full benefits. Anybody else? Yes. Just have one more question. Costi. Uh, C O S T I. Got that. What was his last name? Kim. Oh, it is. Yeah, H I N N. Is that a name that Denny uh, adopted, or was that? Did he have another name? Did no, that's uh, the, the, you're talking about the nephew or Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's person was, was known as Tufik. Tufik was his immigrant name when he came from. Tufik. Tufik from Palestine and I believe he's besides Palestinian I believe he's also part Greek as well and you can kind of see that uh, Greek uh, characteristic in his uh, visage Um, any other questions all right I think it's important to remember that some of these people although they're off the wall but when it comes to some of the doctrinal things it's understandable that people would look for answers in certain things you know, you see David saying, "Oh my soul, why are you disquieted within me?" Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you could try to, well, wait a minute, if, if, it, if there's only the soul and the body, then what's talking to the soul? Isn't it the mind? You know, so people, I think people try to say, "Okay, why? What is the scripture communicating when it does these things?" Because they don't understand genres of literature, they don't understand hermeneutics, mm. so they really make a mess of a lot of things. I think when scripture says, "If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation; old things have passed away, but behold, all things become new." Yeah. Well, so people wrestle with that and say, well, how can I have an old nature and a new, new nature at the same time? Um, personally, I'm not real comfortable with that. I still have old nature and new nature. I don't think that, I don't think that comes straight out of Scripture. I think that's the conclusion that we draw. Mm-hmm. We're trying to understand what the Scripture is saying, you know? When we say we get this sort of dual thing going on, we've got two personalities going on. That lends itself to a lot of confusion and misunderstanding, too. So you can almost it, be schizophrenic if you well, yeah, can't get too far. Well, yeah, some of these people want to wrestle with the questions, and I think that's healthy. But when you start to get outside the fence, as mm-hmm. a lot of these people do, and they don't allow the Scripture where it is clear to sort of bring it back in. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, isn't the, it isn't the things that are gray in Scripture that cause problems for us. It's a refusal to stay within the things that are clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well... Let's close that up and um, close in prayer. Brother Jonathan, would you close in prayer, brother? Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity to uh, to learn the, 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 the truth.
truth and to, to contend for the faith that was once delivered for us for all time, Lord. And we pray that we here uh, become more and more mindful in our studies and more mindful in, in, in what you what you reveal to us through your Son and your Word and that we can stand in the in the time that we need to stand and, de- and defend the faith and to tell people you know where they're where they're wrong or to point out false falsities and to point out the truth lord and let us be be stand and firm in the, these days as we're in now where the truth is is under attack and on all fronts lord and let us uh, to be strong and to be that pillar in our communities and our lives and our workplaces and let us to, to stand for your truth lord and be strong in your word and give us the the grace and and the knowledge that we need and the words that we need when we do get into these uh, discussions with mm-hmm. with either either believers, non-believers, or people struggling with things, help us uh, be wise in the in these times, Lord. And we just thank you and pray for the service today, Lord, that mm-hmm. your word goes forth in power, that we honor your Son, we glorify our name, and that the worship is in a pleasing aroma to you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.